Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning, Heights family. Of course, February is uh, nationally Black History Month, and we not only remember lives like these and their various contributions to American history, these specifically as much in a spiritual sense uh, as any other, but I think we also want to use this time as a church certainly to pray and to think about what's going on in our nation where there's still great, great division. And as we remember and celebrate lives, we remember the need that is still there. And you know what I love about my God? is I can throw up a word like justice and truth and whatever my experience is, whatever I'm thinking needs to happen, God's not dependent upon my understanding. He's not dependent on how I explain the problem. He knows what to do, doesn't he? Because he's a God of truth and justice. So let's go to him now and pray. Father, we just come before you and we, we lift up to you our nation. And Lord, where, whatever our experience, we want there to be peace, resolution, reconciliation. We want there to be truth and justice. All of these words we call out are character qualities of who you are. We don't have to beg for these things. Words like racism, entirely demonic. Lord, we know it's your will to stop that. And God, we ask that it, it would end in America. That, that we as a people, all people, could en- enjoy and celebrate what true truth and justice is. Lord, as the video we just watched, let him use you. I, I pray we each think about what's my role. How can I be used by God for the very things that I pray about for our nation? Lord, would you guide us and lead us? And Lord, it gets wearisome sometimes. We, we ask for these things to be resolved and fixed. And I'm, at, at times we wonder, is it really? Are these prayers making any difference? Is it going to get better or is it just going to continue to get worse? Oh, Lord, would you let us see your goodness and faithfulness? Let us see how you're moving and working. We lift this all up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, I want to go back real quickly to at the start of the service, that announcement from Laura Steele about our women's ministry. Uh, we have a women's conference here the weekend of March 8th, 8th and 9th, and uh, it's you're going to be blessed, you're going to be encouraged, you're going to have a lot of fun. I could say all those things. That's not why I'm making the announcement. Uh, we are co-hosting this with the SBC of Virginia. And we've done that once before. And they will bring people from all, from churches all over the state of Virginia. So it's going to sell out. And I say that today because we've already sold about half the tickets. And, uh, it, I, I don't want ladies in my own church <laughs> to, to miss out on this, to not be able to get into something going on here. So I encourage you, maybe you didn't even hear the, the, the announcement, don't even know what it's about. Find out, see if that's something you want to be a part of, and act on it soon because uh, the churches around our state are going to gobble those up. They really began heavily promoting this past week. We've been 
promoting it here for several weeks. So I encourage you to, uh, to jump on that. We've got, of course, Valentine's out in front of us. I hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day and you know how deeply and wonderfully you are loved, certainly by God, right? And I know when I say that, you're thinking, well, there was somebody else I was thinking of too. But uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, my ability to enjoy and experience any and all love comes from the one who loves us the most, Jesus Christ. And you are loved. And as we celebrate this Valentine's, of course, we're in a marriage series. That kind of fits well. Uh, We're in a marriage series right now here at the Heights. This is our Fourth message, fourth Sunday. The first Sunday, we said marriage matters because God has a way. God has a design. And when we step out of his way, when we step out of the design, we break things on an individual level, on a societal level. So it's worth going after his way. The second Sunday, we said marriage works because marriage, not the only relationship, but it is a unique relationship to really practice being like Jesus. And do you know when you and I are really practicing being like Jesus, what happens is we realize how tough it is to be Jesus. We, we realize, oh man, is that what it means that you love me? Because this is hard. You know, we, so we, I think we grow not only in becoming like Jesus, but in understanding how greatly he loves us. Last week we said, kids matter. They matter because they're of great, great value, and God gives us a task of great, great value to point them back to the Lord. And today, that brings us to intimacy. So in kind of the theme we've been going with, I I guess I would have to say, yes, sex matters. I want to quote a verse that I've quoted a lot over the last two years uh, because of what is happening with marriage in our nation and the, uh, the attack against it. And that verse is Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And so you see that first phrase, let marriage be held in honor among all. I've been, been pointing to that for two years because it's under attack. And notice the word all, all people, not just married people, all people are to honor, respect the institution, the relationship of marriage. So I've, I quote that a lot just with that first idea in mind. Today, it's that second phrase, let the marriage bed be undefiled. How beautiful, how good, how important that God points to the marriage bed and uses that word undefiled. You know, in the context of that, that word defiled is really a word connected with holiness. In the marriage, the bed is the holy of holies. If you think about what a holy of holy is, is in the temple. That's that, that in the, in the Old Testament, that was that central place, that center place where the presence of God was experienced and nobody could go near it. Only the high priest could go in there once a year. Now what's that word holy mean? It means separate, set apart, not for common use. Well, bring those words and that definition into the, into the marriage. What is the marriage bed? It's, it's a beautiful, it is a good, it is important place that is set apart, that is distinct, 
that is not for common use. This is a unique, a special place where only the husband and the wife go. It, it's not common. You don't, you don't bring others into this place. You don't bring outside ideas into this place. The challenge we have right now, so many of us, and when I say us and we, I'm not pointing to any individual out here. I'm not, I'm not saying this is what you've done individually. I'm talking about what seems more and more to be the common experience in America, maybe in the whole world, is that we have defiled that bed. We've soiled that bed. We, we, we bring past partners into that. We bring a heart and a mind shaped by pornography into that. Some of us, sadly, no fault of our own, nothing we did, but we've been abused, we've been victimized, and that's, that's on our heart. And we now have to carry that, that victimization, into that moment. And the result of that is that when we hear God speak, when he gives us this good and beautiful thing, we now hear it and see it. We're looking at it through soiled lenses. We're we're all over the, the map on this because of what we've done, where we've been, what's been done to us, what we're watching. And so now when we hear God, we don't hear what's good and beautiful and perfect. We, we hear something much less than that. You know, folks, I'll say today what's kind of been a kind of a sub theme through all of this. God's way works. God's way is good. And if there is to be a, a healing, if there is to be a hope, if there is to be help, man, we've got to look squarely on Jesus. We've got to look at his word and his way And sometimes because of our decisions or the decisions of others, it can be very challenging to walk in that way. But that is the way that we need to go. You know, and the crazy thing is, and I've, I've referred to this throughout this series on different issues. Even though the world fights this, it's amazing sometimes how they end up confessing to it. How they end up creating the evidence that God's way works. They don't use those, they don't use that phrase but it is what they're talking about. And that's certainly true in this area. You know, you think about what society holds up to us today as sex and sexuality. And they, they seem to hold up literally everything. Everything out there is a way to happiness and fulfillment and love and identity and worth. Amen. This is, this is what real exotic, exciting play. They hold up everything Except a man and a woman in marriage. Because that is kind of boring. Who wants that? Not, not anything there to look at. Keep moving along. No, the real exciting stuff is everything but that. Until people give you a peek into their heart. And let you know what they're really thinking and feeling and experiencing. One, one research uh, found out that the people most likely to report that they are very satisfied, that's the report's word, very satisfied in their sex life, are married people. To, to go a step further, those who are very satisfied tend to have the belief that anything outside of marriage 
is wrong. To go a step further, those most likely to be very satisfied in their sex life are not only married, but they're going to church. Religious commitment and sexual satisfaction are actually linked together. Now, who's saying this, right? Because can't we make research say whatever we want? Can't we make numbers and statistics say whatever? I mean, it's probably a pastor, some Christian organization somewhere trying to call America back to this social construct we live in. No, it was actually uh, the women's magazine, Red Book, which I don't think has ever had any purpose to drive people to religious commitment. And it edits their study that said religious commitment and sexual satisfaction go together. Now, a little truth in advertising here. You know, when people refer to studies and research, usually you're talking about something recent. The Red Book study is actually quite old. It, it was a, a study done, I think, over 20 years ago. I've used it before uh, here in our church. So it's old. And when you think about how much has changed around sexuality in the last 20 years, you can't help but, but think, well, I mean, if you ask all those questions today, you're going you're gonna to get something very different. Not one bit, guarantee. Prove me wrong. You know, some of our ideas about what's okay, what's okay to try, what's okay to do, yeah, those things may have changed. What we actually end up feeling and experiencing doesn't change. It doesn't change from 20 years ago. It doesn't change from 2,000 years ago. Let me show you. And again, just remember, we got this idea, this belief, God's way works. Amen? Okay? Watch the world say it without trying to say it. I want to I draw from three studies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you conclusions of three different studies. The Red Book study but then also a study done by UCLA, the university, the Bruins, uh, and voter consumer research. And listen to what these studies say. Let's look at this up here. Premarital sex was a good determinant for later sexual dissatisfaction among women and sexual dysfunction in men. Another way to say that, get that sex life up and running a little bit early. Get it up and running a little bit before marriage. I mean, that is a very exciting time. A lot driving there. But you get it up and going a couple years earlier, and you may pay for it for two or three decades on the backside. There's a really high cost for grabbing that a couple years early. How about this one? Married people were more likely to report higher satisfaction than non-married people. Three different studies all say the same exact thing. No real surprise in that second one. There's a a variety of reasons for that. Uh, Now, this third one, this one make you scratch your head a little bit. Parents with three or more children were more likely to report higher satisfaction than other adults. I mean, I really think, when? When did they have time? Right? Number four. Man, think of, think of all the reports about people leaving church, no longer going to church. I think we need to figure out how to get number four out on the sign out front. Weekly church attenders were more likely to report higher satisfaction than people who infrequently or never attend worship services. Just soak that one in for a moment. 
And how about this one? Couples that live together. Now, let me stop right there. And, of course, you're reading the rest of it while I stop. Think about how logical it absolutely is. You're not supposed to hear this from the pulpit. Makes total sense to live together. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy a car without sitting in it. I don't buy a car without taking it for a test drive. And that's a much smaller commitment than marriage. There's so much logic to the idea, okay, we date great, but can we actually live together? I mean, can like we pay bills together? Are we sexually compatible? I mean, there's a whole host of things that it really feels like, hey, if we live together, we could find out if this works. We'd have a lot of confidence about what we're doing. The funny thing is, as logical as that sounds, there's zero, none evidence that it produces what you want. Quite the opposite. Couples that live together experience higher rates of sexual anxiety, higher rates of physical abuse. If they get married, they have a higher rate. I mean, I thought that was the whole point of living together, to find out if this can really work. If they get married, they have a higher rate of divorce than those who don't. And statistically, they don't get married. Living together doesn't work. So you take, you take all of these statements right here. Clinical psychologists, Cross and Mosher, from the University of Connecticut. Again, a university I'm counting on not promoting religious ideals. Okay, I mean, you know what goes on on campus today. From the University of Connecticut, these two research psychologists summed up these findings and said this, monogamous married couples enjoy greater sexual freedom. They're free from guilt, from fears often associated with sex outside of marriage, AIDS, other STDs, and you can, you can read the rest of it, the, the things that go with sex outside of marriage. That's a real psychological, fancy, statistical way of saying, huh, God's way works. The culture's lying to us. You know, when I, not that one, but the, 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 the PowerPoint before that, when I, when I read out some of those statements, that evokes a variety of motions in the room right now or people watching online. We, we can hear some of that, we can read some of that, and we feel embarrassed. Probably feel like the pastor knows. I don't, by the way. <laughs> People are looking at you. Wait, is he saying it's my fault? We, we can hear those and we feel guilt. We feel embarrassment or shame. Maybe we feel anger. I look at that and, I, I, you know, I feel bad about myself. I didn't come here today to feel bad about myself. I don't need you being judgmental. I don't need you pointing that... I. I get all that. But even when it hurts a little bit, doesn't somewhere we need to hear the truth? It's only the truth that's going to help me see why everything's broken. Why this isn't producing what I thought it was going to produce. Why it's evoking all of these other negative emotions. Hey, don't we want our kids, don't we want our youth to hear the truth? Because they're being profoundly lied to every single day. The, the social media they watch that most of you have no idea of what they're taking in. And I'm not talking about porn. 
is totally lying to them about this. And nowhere do we hear God's way actually works. And there's actually a mountain of secular evidence that says so. And what somebody needs to be saying it right. Don't we need to hear that afresh? God's way works. I want to, I want us to hear from God. I want to, I want to do, I want to read four passages. I'm going to read them mostly without commentary. And I want us to hear God talk about sex. It's a kind of an awkward sentence, isn't it? You know, if the whole idea of putting God and sex together just sounds kind of weird, and I, I'm going to guess for most of us it does, do you know why it feels and sounds weird? Because our heart and mind is more shaped by the world and Satan on this issue than it is by God, and that's why it feels weird and uncomfortable to think God could have something to do with this. He designed it. He gave it as a gift. Let's listen. I'm going to read these mostly without commentary. And so I want you to listen for commands. Listen for attitudes. Hey, listen for places that maybe you're out of bounds. Listen for places you're surprised. I wouldn't have known God was so open about that. Just listen, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. Then the man said, this is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to be judged, absolutely no shame. Proverbs chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. It says, drink water from your own cistern. Now let me pause right here, just for the poetically challenged. What I'm reading is not about water and it's not about cisterns. What this just said was, have and enjoy sex in your own marriage. So now that you got the first line... Let's go with the rest of it. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself. Let them be for your marriage alone and not for strangers. Now, you and I hear the word stranger and we think of somebody we don't know. No, a stranger is anybody that doesn't belong in the Holy of Holies with you and your spouse. You may know them very well. They're a stranger. They don't belong in that place in your marriage. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely doe, a graceful, excuse me, a a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Be intoxicated in her love. One translation says, be captivated by her love. Another one says, be lost in her love. What a great prayer for Valentine's. God, would you give me a love for my spouse that that's what captivates me. That's what intoxicates me. Now, when I pray that, you realize you're also praying the flip-flop. God, guard me, keep me from being captivated by another's love. 
Guard me, keep me from being captivated by anything else. May I be intoxicated always in her love. Okay, if that passage didn't make you blush a little, this one's going to get everybody. Song of Solomon. Some of you have thought, oh, I know he's going here. Song of Solomon, chapter 7. How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is like a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. You know, not all of these things he's using for illustration do we get and understand in that culture they did. Like he's going to describe her nose in a way in a moment that I wouldn't encourage you to use this on Valentine's Day to describe your spouse's nose. But you, you have to understand this language all meant something to the, to the reader. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon. I, I just wouldn't say that. I just, I just wouldn't. Which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. And your flowing locks are like purple. A king held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant are you, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree. And your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree. Hey, if you're uncomfortable, come up here and read this. (laughs) I will climb the palm tree and I will lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breast be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. Now she interrupts. So the last line was, your, your mouth is like the best wine. And she says, it goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early into the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. It's not about fruit. You, you. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you. Oh, my beloved. One more passage. Everybody said, thank God. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality. One translation actually says because it's so common. You know, before I even read the rest of this passage. You know, God has answers for how we're designed. What's going on inside us. And he he gives us direction. He gives us answers. Well, we live in a world right now. We talked about this a couple of Sundays ago. Where it's becoming more the norm to really delay marriage, not only into our 20s, 
but to delay it well into our 30s because we, we, and remember, there's no command to get married. You don't have to get married. But even people that want to one day get married, we're pushing that way. I want to, I want to build a career. There's things I want to experience, places I want to, I want to live the single life. Because, right, the single life has all the freedom. That's not actually what the research said. So we're delaying. Now, just think about the difficult. I mean, you know, the engine starts revving around what? 12, 13 years old? And for most of humanity and most of history, you had to keep that under control for five, seven, maybe eight or nine years before you got married. Now think about this. We're supposed to be sexually pure, but the engine's running for two or three decades before we can act on it, that's, that's almost impossible. <gasps> Did the pastor say it's okay, just go ahead if you're going to wait till your 30s? No, I'm, that's the background of what God is saying. Because guess what? Nothing's new under the sun. What's true today, same as 2,000 years ago. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, what sexual immorality? Anything, anything outside of one man and one woman in their own holy of holies. Because that is such a great temptation, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife for her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Folks, that's God speaking right into our reality. He absolutely knows what we feel. He absolutely understands the temptation, and he's got an answer for it. The other thing I notice in this passage, these passages is apparently God doesn't blush. And why would he blush? He gave something good and beautiful and pure. And we have made something entirely different out of it. We bring the blush. We bring the shame. We bring the guilt. God didn't, that's not what God delivered to us. Let me make seven observations. Boy, seven sounds like a lot, especially if you're looking at your watch right now. I'm not going to tarry too long on any one of these seven observations from these passages. Number one, the sexual relationship in marriage is God's good and perfect plan. And I'm, that observation comes out of what I just said. If you're experiencing, single or married, something less than what's good and perfect, it's not because of something God overlooked. It's not because of an error God made. It's how you and I break and use, and sadly, some didn't break it at all. They were the victim of somebody that broke it, okay? So, but what God gives is good and perfect. Remember, I've got to aim at the target God's given. Some may get to the target faster and some slower, but I've got to aim at God's target. It is good and it is perfect. Number two, the sexual relationship is a part of becoming one and enjoying intimacy. You know, However we define our sex and our sexuality, we're all trying to get to one place. We're all over the map, but we're trying to get to one place. And that's that closeness with one other person. That, that special bond, that special closeness, that naked and unashamed 
as was described in the very beginning. And while we might be all over the map with our experiences, we, we gotta, we gotta look at the road God has laid and figure out our way back to that road. And this is, the sexual relationship is a part of God's design. That's not the only thing that creates intimacy, but it is certainly a thing that God has made a part of it. Number three, the sexual relationship in marriage should be something we seek to enjoy. You know, I, I think I could have used a better word than seek. A better word would be work. I, I think we get this mentality that if it's real and, and for it to really be exciting, there's always got to be this incredible spontaneity and craziness to it. Hey, God bless spontaneity, spontaneity and craziness. But at the end of the day, it is going to take or it's, it's work to make it happen. It's work to keep it fresh. It, it's prayer. Pray. Hey, God, help me be captivated by her, by him alone. Help me to be lost in their love. Again, if that's weird to you to pray about your sex life, you're just showing how much of your sex life's been shaped by the wrong person and the wrong thing. He designed it. It's his gift. The most natural person we should talk to about this is God. But it is something we work at enjoying in our marriage. Number four, the sexual relationship should be accompanied by the emotional relationship. You know, that very spicy Song of Solomon, chapter 7 that I just read, you did notice that was all talking. All talk. Now, you know, when we talk about physical and emotional, we tend to get stereotypical and say, well, the man wants the physical and the woman wants the emotional, right? I, yeah, yeah, no, there's a reason we come up with stereotypes. There's, there's probably some legitimacy to that, but there's also, it's very legitimate to say in both of us is a desire for both. And maybe God created us a little bit different so that we would both make sure both things are happening. You know, oneness is actually made from three different things. Physical oneness, emotional oneness, and spiritual oneness. That is sharing the inside me, the outside me, and the spiritual me. In other words, sharing the whole me with another. You know what that is? Oneness. Intimacy. And, and we may get idea, oh, I just want this part or that part. You, you gotta make investments every week, at least in one of those areas. I would suggest all three areas. Emotional oneness can profoundly increase physical oneness. Now, emotional oneness, we're, we're primarily talking about communication, right? And how many, oh, we have a problem with communication in our marriage. You didn't have a problem when you were dating. Yeah, we have, a, we have a motivation problem. We've talked about that a lot in this series. The motivation, why I want to... And you know what? Sometimes when we start hurting and damaging each other, no doubt that'll impact our ability to communicate. I want to... Are you ready for this? I'm going to revolutionize your sex life. I'm going to revolutionize your communication right here, right now. You ready for this? No? All right, I will just move on. You're on your own. Three questions. Take you five minutes. I would suggest Sunday night. Three questions. Number one, what are you excited about this week? Number two, what are you concerned about this week? Number three, 
What are you praying about this week? If you haven't answered that in number one and number two. You know, when you give answers to those three questions, you just let your spouse inside. None of those questions are hard to ask. None of those questions are embarrassing to ask. I, you know, I've seen in my own life, my own pride and selfishness will make easy hard. But that is easy. Three questions. What are you excited about this week? What are you concerned about this week? What are you praying for? I say Sunday night because that's when we're kind of looking at the week out in front of us, right? Those three questions. Just ask each other and give answers to those three questions. Let it, let, do it for a while, okay? Not just one time. Do that for a month, two months, three months, and, and see what it does. You can give me gifts and prizes later, okay? Number five. Their sexual relationship is an act of service. Gosh, you know, which one of these is the biggest point? This one, maybe. You know, in our worldview, in a satanic worldview, sex is something you get. Now, here is maybe where I'm speaking more from a man's view than than a woman's view. Because, hey, I'm trusting that a lot of us men, whether we were boys or men, we've been in a locker room. And we know how we talk about women, and we know how we talk about sex, and we even use the word get. You see, in a satanic worldview, what I get, even from somebody I love, it's about what I get. In a biblical view, it's about what I give. It's about how I serve, bless, encourage, provide for what they need and what they want. You know, I've got, a, uh, I've got a nice grill. I spent a little bit of money on it up front, and I'm really glad I did. It's five years old, and it is, it is still an incredible grill. But even good grills, you know, you get on the inside, and stuff gets gunked up, messed up, starts to, to rust, and that's kind of where my, my grill is right now. So this week, shh, I don't tell, don't tell Karen, I bought some new innards to my grill parts. So I... I should get them today, and I'm going to wrap them all up, and I'm going to give them to Karen for a Valentine's gift. <laughs> she will be so... Nobody, shh, nobody tell her. She'll be so excited. <laughs> I think y'all get the point, right? See, that's, that's how... I'm get, we'll even use the word give. I'm giving her what I want and expecting it to bless her. That, that's not what an act of service is. An act of service isn't thinking about what I get out of this, what I want, what I need. It is entirely about what they want and what they need and what serves them. couple of questions, a couple of uh, guidelines. Number one, I'll do whatever I can to please you. Boy, that word whatever is tricky. And it's counterbalanced by number two. The reason I say whatever, it can be tricky. I really do think we want to have that attitude. I'll do whatever I can to serve and bless my spouse. And a lot of times we're taking in maybe things they've said that they wanted and things like that. Even between consenting adults in marriage, not everything is in bounds. There are things that are out of bounds. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot more than that because this isn't really the venue for that, is this? But like an easy one. My spouse and I can't decide we want to involve somebody else 
in our holy of holies, right? That's out of bounds. It doesn't matter if one of us suggested it and the other agrees. And I I don't think there's a ton of out of bounds. I would add about two or three more things to that list. But there are out of bounds. Now, if we can resolve what the out of bounds are, then yeah, I'm going to do what I can to please you, but I'm going to couple that with, I will never ask anything that is disgrading or distasteful. Now, the challenge with those words is they're subjective, right? What's distasteful to one person isn't to another, or to one couple isn't to another. And, and, and folks, if we could just, I'm telling you, God knows what he's doing. And he knows what we're going to struggle with, and he knows what we're going to break, and he knows how messed up we can get in here and how frustrating for us that it can be. So God's idea in all this is, is that a husband and wife are building their own sex life together in their own holy of holies. Well, if I've engaged in porn, then I'm, you're, you're going to bring ideas from that. If I've got a, a list of past partners, then I'm going to bring that. And now all of a sudden, it's not what we are building together. I'm, I'm bringing this other stuff in and saying, this should, this should please you. This should serve you. And, well, first of all, porn is an entire lie. Gosh, I hope that doesn't need to be said. It is an entire lie. Everything about it and everyone in it is lying. And now all of a sudden I'm using a lie and setting that as some kind of expectation for for reality. That's that's not giving a gift. That's not serving their well-being. God says, hey, this really works if you build what you have together and it's yours. Number three, uh, or lastly, I will not use sex to manipulate or punish. I know that never happens in marriage. But in the places that it does, obviously the focus is what I want. I'm trying to get something out of you or I'm trying to punish you because I didn't get something out of you. That, there's no service in that. So God says it's a gift. It's a way of serving. Number six, the sexual relationship can be a regular and normal part of the marriage relationship. Okay, again, a tricky idea here because regular is subjective, Right? I mean, think about how we can use that word. I regularly eat three times a day. I regularly celebrate Christmas one day a year. Which one describes your... No, don't, 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 don't. I didn't say that. I didn't ask. It's probably something in between, right? You know, the Bible doesn't give... I thought you said the Bible gives us everything that we need and answers. It doesn't give a number. Why doesn't it give a number per week, per month, per, per? Why doesn't it give a number? Because a number would be ridiculous. And no person, male or female, could ever sustain a number. And I'm not just talking there about, you know, when we're young and then we get old. No, that's not, hey, in a a marriage, in a relationship, you, you give and take. You have ebb and flow. You have more, you have less. You go through different seasons and it, it, it can be difficult at times. What you're communicating to each other is that even in the difficultness of the moment we're in right now, I, we want this. I, we are going to work at making this happen. That's what you want to communicate is that this is a part of our marriage and the word regular might be described one way in this period of time and it might be described a whole nother way in another period of time last and not least and here we all say praise the lord number seven the marriage bed should be honored hey what do you honor in your life 
What has a place of honor before? Is it, is it a prize you won, an award? When we have something we really honor, man, we put it in a, in a place that it's focused on, it's cherished, it's protected, attention is given to it. That's what it means to honor the marriage bed. We cherish it, we work at it, we, it, it gets a place of, of focus in our lives. Now, what do we do with today's message? I have not even come close to answering all the questions. I certainly have not dealt with the variety of, of hurts and issues that we go through physically and emotionally because of this. I, mean, I haven't answered anything. What am I supposed to do with what I heard today? Well, number one, you do what you do anytime you hear God on anything. Number one, and that's a long, fancy way for saying repent. Man, where I see that I've got an attitude or an action that is out of bounds, I move and I get in bounds. I repent. I stop going a way that's not going to work, and I start going God's way. Confess just simply means that I'm going to agree with God. I agree with you, God. I agree that my way, my attitude, my way of thinking is not working. I agree that your way does. And when that's been the case, then it needs to be followed by number two. And I need to receive God's forgiveness. You know, folks, God does not want you trying to move forward in a life of shame and guilt because of where you've been, what you've done, or what's been done to you. Shame and guilt is not how God operates. And yet... Our society runs from shame and guilt. All shame and guilt is bad, and it's because of somebody else or something else. Shame and guilt are emotions God gives us. Now, there is false guilt. There's false shame. But folks, if I'm out of bounds, shame and guilt are emotions God's put in me. They're like a warning light on your dashboard. Hey, I'm feeling bad because I'm in a bad place. I'm in the wrong spot. And that feeling is to say, hey, I need to look up and figure out why I'm here and move. That's repentance. Okay, so some shame and guilt is right and it is God-given. But he never wants to leave you there. What he wants you to have is his hope and his healing. What he wants you to be operating from is his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And you know the phrase, I, I, you know, I've received God's forgiveness. I just can't forgive myself. I don't believe there is any such thing as forgiving myself. I cannot absolve myself of wrong. Do you know why I have a problem with forgiving myself? Because I don't fully trust God's forgiveness. So that emotion, that bad feeling that I still have is a warning light. You're not clinging to God. You're trying to cling to yourself. And when you decide you can absolve yourself of something, God wants you working from forgiveness. Number three, we need to commit to God's way. Any issue, right? God, I see your word. I see you have a way. I'm not, I'm not living in light of that, but I want to. I want to commit myself. And that, you know, we're praying, we're making a commitment. And then number four, we act on it. And hey, man, there's a thousand things I could do better and do right. But what today? In light of what I've heard, what do I need to do today or this week? Now, we're going to answer that all a little bit. Hey, as a single person, what do I need to do today in light of what I've heard? Hey, as a married person in a bad marriage, in a bad sex life, what's the next step for me, Lord? Hey, God, in an in, in a, in a okay marriage, but a not good sex life, what's the next step for me, Lord? Hey, God, I've got, I feel like I've got a great marriage and a great sex life. What's the next step for me, Lord?
You know, if you ask, he'll answer that. He'll, he'll let you know. He'll, he'll guide you in, hey, in, in light of what I want for you, in light of how much I love you, in light of where you need to be, here's, here's the next step. Try it. Take two, three days. Take a week and say, hey, God, what's the next step for me? Hey, one, one book I want to recommend, Intended for Pleasure by Ed Wheat, because there are so many questions. That, I, I, literally, I think that's like literally the best book out there. Obviously, that's an opinion. Ed Wheat, a little bit thing that's interesting about that book, he is not only a, a Christian marriage counselor, he's also an MD, a medical doctor. And so he's bringing both the spiritual and the physiological to the table. And so the first part of the book is really developing a, a, an understanding of why God gave this and what's in it. And the next part of the book is the physiological. And the last part of the book is his 101 most asked questions in the office. And that just makes for some darn interesting reading. You might buy it for the 101 questions. Uh, God's not left us without... You know, that's what I love about my God. There's not an issue going on in the world. There's not an issue going on in your life that God's word hasn't spoke to. And every word he speaks is not because of his anger with you or his hate of you. Every word he speaks of his love for you and what he wants you to be able to enjoy and have not only an eternal life, but right here in this world right now. Amen? God, may we trust your word. And Lord, you know where we struggle, where we've lost control, where we're fighting bringing our lives and our ways, our actions and our thoughts in line with your word. God, may we see more than stop doing this and start doing that. May we see the goodness of you and the goodness of coming to your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.